through some constructive criticism. Shut up! What were you thinking? I know you weren't. I wish I had never even given birth to you. Come on, ref! Put your glasses back on! Nice outfit, Megan. Which dumpster did you get that out of? I want a divorce. Why can't you be more like your sister? No, officer. I had no idea I was going that fast. I don't care if I ever see his face again. And you better believe that I'm going to make sure that everyone knows exactly what he did to me. I wouldn't even trust that man if he was the last man on the face of the earth. Put your cell phone down and drive, you moron! I hate you. You don't even care about me. I think he preaches better when he wears a tie and stands behind a big pulpit. <laughs> it's only cheating if you get caught. You're fired until you can learn to be a team player. Nobody else around here has a problem with an occasional white lie. Everyone does it. I don't think some of those people were acting very much, it didn't sound like. Came easy. As you listen to those statements, are there any of those statements or perhaps similar type statements that were said to you the last couple weeks? Or maybe the more difficult question, have you said those words or similar statements to somebody else over the last couple of weeks. Today we're going to continue our series that we're calling Switch. And we're in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4 and 5, and we've kind of noted that in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul is kind of doctrinal. And he talks about the fact that we're all children of God. And then when he gets to chapter 4, he kind of changes gears... And he says, you know, because you are children of God, you ought to act this way. So that's where we've been. He's starting to talk about how we ought to act. And so last week we talked about the fact that he said we need to switch from a secular mindset to a godly mindset. And then today he's going to tell us we need to switch our speech patterns. We need to watch how we talk. That can be pretty hard, can it? I mean, what we're talking about today kind of impacts all of us. Nobody kind of gets a get-out-of-jail-free card today. Because what we're talking about at some level applies to every one of us. You know, sometimes when we're talking about people that have really, really struggle with their speech and what they say and those kind of things, we call them a toxic Person. You ever heard that term, a toxic person? And it's interesting to me that when I talk to people, I've met lots of people who can point out toxic people, but I've never met anyone who said, I am a toxic person. Well, Paul's going to address the toxic people, the people that are in the extreme of this, but as I mentioned earlier, what he's saying has to do with all of us. And the first thing that I want you to note that Paul says to us, he says, switch from falsehood to truth. Look at verse 25 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, or it'll be on the screen behind me. He says, therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood 
and speak truthfully to his neighbors, for we are all members of one body. So as you look at that verse, the first thing you have to kind of define, what exactly is a falsehood? Well, a falsehood, in a biblical sense here, the word means to use deceptive words. It means careless exaggeration. It means false flattery. In other words, when I was growing up, we used to call it blowing smoke at someone, brown-nosing someone. That kind of thing is, is false flattery. It means to conveniently neglect to share all the facts. You know, just give them kind of part of it. Lies are a part of this. Those are all examples and methods of falsehood. Now, we live in a society that kind of promotes this, don't we? Especially that term, white lie. I mean, salespeople, it's almost expected that you'll kind of skew the truth a little bit, that you might exaggerate things a little bit. Do you ever pay attention to commercials? And to me, the ones that are really skew the truth are the car commercials, especially on the radio, and the furniture commercials. I mean, you know, I heard one yesterday. You know, now you come on down, the boss is out of town, and I'm going to sell 100 cars for a loss. Y'all come on down to, I'm not going to tell you the name of the place, I don't want to be sued, but. <laughs> now, do you really expect us to believe that the boss went out of town and you're going to sell 100 cars at a loss and you're not going to get fired? I mean, do you want to just put a big S on our forehead for stupid? But you, you hear that kind of stuff all the time, and it's just kind of expected that you it's okay to tell a little white lie. Well, Paul takes issue with that. This is also the time of year when people can tell you how to, you know, maybe at the workplace, people can tell you how to kind of cheat Uncle Sam on your on your tax reports. And another form of this is when people just kind of puff themselves up and then they put other people down, make someone else look bad. Have you ever wondered why Scripture seems to talk so much about honesty? Let me answer a question with a question. Have you ever met someone who stretches and manipulates the truth so much that you can't believe anything they say? I mean, you just, they just have such a reputation for bending the truth that you just, you just can't trust anything? Well, that's what falsehood does. It undermines trust. It destroys relationships. It damages your witness. You can't trust someone who lies. It'll absolutely destroy a marriage if you can't trust each other. If there's deception, if things are going on, half-truths and those kind of things. It'll destroy a parent-teen, a parent-child relationship. Students, when you lie to your parents, you, you, can, you can undermine years and years of trust with one deceitful lie. And it takes years again to build up that trust. And if you're a person that's known as exaggerating and lying and those kind of things, you have no Christian witness. It doesn't matter how many times you invite somebody to church. If you are known as a deceitful, a lying, exaggerating person, it, it doesn't make any difference. Because you've destroyed your ability as a Christian witness because of your speech patterns. Do you know when we do that? We are operating, and we're in this falsehood area. We are operating in the world of Satan. What does the scripture tell us over in John 8, 44? 
that Satan is a liar and he is the father of lies. So when we twist, when we distort, when we intentionally deceive someone, we look more like Satan than we do God and we're operating in Satan's realm, so to speak. Now, it's hard to tell the truth sometimes, isn't it? I mean, sometimes you can get yourself in trouble by telling the truth, and you'd rather not do that. Hear about the four-year-old boy that uh, came screaming out of the bathroom. His mom was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? So I dropped my toothbrush in the toilet. And he was just beside himself. His mom said, it's okay. We'll take the toothbrush out. We'll throw it away. We'll buy you a new one. And then he took off running again. And then he came back from the bathroom. And he said, well, Mom, you might want to get two because I dropped yours in the t toilet a couple days ago. <laughs> now, sometimes it's a little harder to tell the truth. But when you tell the truth, you know what happens? You never have to worry about having a photographic memory to connect all the dots. You don't have to wonder, how did I tell that story the last time? You don't have to do those types of things. God wants us to be people of integrity. He wants our word to stand out. As I mentioned earlier, God has some pretty strong opinions on this. Do you remember over in Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira? So they sold this piece of property, and then they were going to give money back to God, but, and, and it was pretty supersized generosity that they had, but they weren't completely honest about it. And so, what happens? God strikes them both dead for lying. Are you kidding me? He killed them for lying? Yeah. Because apparently, this is a big deal to God, and he wanted to send a message. You know what the message was? When a Christ follower opens his mouth, what he says needs to be true. God wants the follower of Christ to be distinctive in his speech so that he'll separate us from this world that says, hey, all this is okay, all these falsehoods, white lies, and all that's okay. God wants us to be distinctive. So that's the first thing he says. The second thing he says here is switch from impulse to control. Tell me if this ever happened to you. Your respirations deepened. Your heart began to beat rapidly. Your arterial pressure rose. Blood shifted from your stomach and intestines to the heart, central nervous system, and muscles. The processes of the alimentary canal ceased. Sugar was freed from your reserves in your liver. Your spleen contracted and discharged its contents of concentrated corpuscles and adrenaline was secreted. You might say, well, if it did, I didn't know I did it. That's a physiological description of what happens when you get angry. Those are the things that happen to your body. I want to share a headline with you and a little bit of a story. This is the, the headline. Minister of Music tases pastor <coughs> Another woman stabbed, now this is not downtown somewhere, during a fight at church. This is a story from, from uh, South Alabama. A minister of music at a church in this, sorry, I just thought you'd like to know where it came from. I wasn't trying to put Alabama down. Mobile, Mobile County, Alabama. Doesn't get much further south than that. 
A minister of music at a church in St. Elmo County tased the pastor who had just fired him Sunday, touching off a fight and various knife slashings, according to the sheriff's office. Deputies were called just after 1 o'clock to the church at the 8600 block of Bow Road. <coughs> the mayhem erupted when the Reverend Daryl Riley told the minister of music, Simeon Moore, that he was no longer needed and gave him his final paycheck. Moore disagreed with the amount of the check and an argument broke out in which Moore wielded a taser gun and tased the pastor and also hit him in the head with a metal money box. Several, several church members became involved, including Agolia Moore, who suffered a stab wound at the hands of a deacon wielding, get this, an 18-inch knife which required 19 stitches, according to the sheriff's office. Moore, with bandages around his forehand and, and right hand, acknowledged that he had a taser, but denied using it on Riley, which brings to the question that I want to know, what was he doing with the taser in church? He said, when he asked why he was carrying a taser on Sunday, Moore said, I didn't trust the situation. Do you want to know the name of the church? The New Welcome Baptist Church. <laughs> Can't make it up. When I first heard that story, I thought, that's got to be made up. That can't be true. There's a publication that's called the, the Babylon Bee, and it's a satirical organization, and they make up stories like this about religion and church things. I thought, it has to be one of their made-up stories. But I checked it out, and this thing actually what anger will do to you. Sometimes it's expressed verbally. In the case of this church dispute, it's a physical thing in addition to verbal. Sometimes it's shouting, accusing, cursing, verbal insults or abuse. And of course, when the words start flying, what happens after that? The tension kind of escalates. And anger can grow till it's murder in your heart or almost as the case here, actual physical murder ever think about the things that we say when we're angry and, and we wish we hadn't think about, about all the the damage you've done by the unkind things you say when you're angry how many times when we're angry do we say something and we wish we could take those words back and how often have we damaged our relationship with our kids or with our spouse because we were angry and yeah you can apologize and you should apologize. But just because you apologize just doesn't automatically make everything right. And sometimes we do lasting damage with our words that we say in anger. Most of the time, we'd love to take those words back. But it's because of our loss of our control over our speech that we do and say a lot of those things. Think before you speak. Occasionally, somebody will argue. They'll say, well, well, Jesus got angry. You know, he went into the temple with all the money, money changers, and he threw all their stuff around, and he threw them out of there. That was, a not, that was not an abrupt reaction that Jesus had. It was something that he calculated the night before, and he had seen what they were doing. And this is what you might call righteous anger. You'll notice that Paul doesn't condemn anger in general. He doesn't say it's a sin to be angry. He says, listen to this, in verse 26 and 27. He says, in your anger, do 
not sin. So he's saying it's okay to be angry in certain situations, but when you're angry, don't sin. And then he continues, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let the sun go down when you're angry. You know, that's great wisdom for all of us. It's great wisdom for, for married couples. This is something that Renee and I do well, sort of. I mean, there are those times when I have to stay up for two weeks at a time because of this. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's great advice, you know, because what happens if you don't take care of a situation? It just starts festering, and then it just kind of gets bigger, and, and things kind of get worse. So Paul's saying, take care of it before it has a chance to fester and get worse. And I read a lot of articles on, on preaching. That's, I mean, that's what I do, so that's kind of where I read a lot, books, articles. And I read a fascinating article by a man by the name of Dave Stone. And he's a, he's a pastor of a, a, you would call it a mega church, multiple campuses, big staff, and all those kinds of things. And uh, they, they're, they're, they actually have what they call a worship and preaching department. This is what he says. What he says applies to us today. He says, when I prepare to preach here, I try to weigh every word that I choose because if I say something that is biblically inaccurate or slightly deceitful or if a story has an ounce of untruth about someone, there will be a significant fallout and potentially damaging repercussions to me and to this church. And he goes on. So what do I do? I have to weigh every word. So on Mondays, whoever is preaching talks through some of their ideas with the worship and preaching department. He said, then on Thursdays, I pass out a manuscript for a group of people to read over word for word. Then each Saturday night, that group shares constructive criticism on what was preached in the Saturday night services, and they leave suggested changes on my voicemail, and they critique everything I said. And he concludes with this. Do I still make mistakes? Sure I do. But the process reduces the number of mistakes we make because of the checkpoints of accountability. My point is this. We would make a whole lot more mistakes if we didn't run our words through a series of filters. And I know some of you are sitting here this morning thinking, I'd like to be that group in a series. I know some of you think you're already in that group, but you're not because we don't have one. Anybody who's ever been married in here for a minute knows if you ask your wife what's wrong and she goes, nothing. That doesn't mean nothing, does it? Yeah, it means something. And you have to interpret that. The tone has a lot to do with this. So what if we could run it through a series of filters? What if we would ask ourselves, is what I'm going to say going to build up somebody? Is this going to edify somebody? Is it in this person's best interest for me to say these things? Is this loving we had a series of filters like that and used them, I think it would have a, it would probably cut down, first of all, on what we say, but I think more importantly, it would cut down on how we say it and the content 
of what we say. In fact, Paul even suggested a coach over in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You say, that doesn't sound like a filter for my mouth. That sounds like a filter for my heart. Exactly. Because what you say is a reflection of your heart. Guard your tongue and switch from impulse to control. Then the third thing he mentions is this. Switch from tearing people down to building up people. Notice verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Have you noticed that some people are just negative all the time? Some of you are negative at home, you're negative at school, you're negative in the workplace, you're negative at church. Some people are just critical all the time. I think there are people in this room that if we gave you $1,000 as you left today and $100 bills, you would complain because it wasn't 20s. I know that. I swear that to be true. Negative, 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 negative. Paul is telling us that we need to be building up and saying positive things. Not that everything you say is going to be goody two-shoes kind of speech, but that you're building people two of the Ten Commandments are about speech. He says, don't lie and don't take my name in vain. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What's he saying here? He's saying, listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the way the Holy Spirit is talking to your heart. And then let your speech reflect that. And if you are a Christian, you share the name of Christ. And there must be some commitment to protect his name and his honor. Kyle Ottingham is a nationally known speaker. And he wrote, probably he's best known for writing a book called uh, I'm Not a Fan. And, uh, but anyway, he tells a really interesting story. When he was 16, he was playing in a soccer tournament, only Christian school in Missouri. Christian school soccer tournament. And so he was guarding this one particular player in a soccer match, and the player just kept on using God's name in vain and throwing in a few other perverse cuss words at the same time. And finally, Kyle had enough of it. He said, look, if you, if you take God's name in vain one more time, I'm going to punch you. Well, a couple minutes later, the kid did. Remember, this is Christian schools only. The kid did, and Kyle punched him. He was, of course, ejected from the game for fighting. Well, at halftime, the coach goes over to the refs and he tells them what had happened. Those of you who played soccer, coach soccer like I have, I've never, ever had this happen. But when he told the story to the ref, the ref kicked the other player out and reinstated Kyle. I don't know how that happened, but anyway, it did. And at the end of the tournament, Kyle received the sportsmanship award. And Bobby Knight came in second, I think. <laughs> Now, I'm not recommending punching somebody out when they cuss or use God's name in vain. So don't go to school tomorrow and say the pastor told you to do that. But you have to admire his protection of God's name. 
got the board, she told me, you need to show respect with the words you choose. And I don't have to tell you, in our country in the last few decades, there's just been a moral free fall in the use of profanity. Just casual disregard for what other people think and the way people use profanity and the way they use God's name in vain. And it says, Paul tells us the Holy Spirit is grieved. Words that you would never hear spoken on, on the radio, or you just hear them on sports talk all the time. Things that are said on TV a couple, just one decade ago, the FCC would have levied a, a heavy fine on it, and now it's just okay. Go to a ball game, and it's just like you're surrounded by, by profanity, and if you say something about it, it's like you're some kind of moron or goody two-shoes or something. You know, it used to be, it was just common decency. Even even the, the vilest of things that somebody like cuss like a sailor. Even somebody like that out in public would have the common decency not to cuss around women and children. And if they did, they oh, pardon me, man, I'm sorry. Something like that. All those, all that gone. And oftentimes it's the Christian community that's right in the midst of it. Let me encourage you to take your speech up a notch. And this might be a different form for each of you. Some of you it might be less tolerant of profanity and crude language at work. For others of you, it might mean you need to speak more in love. For somebody else, it might mean you need to get somebody and say, look, at school or at work, say, hey, if you hear me take God's name in vain, if you hear me saying something off color, profanity or whatever, would, would you remind me, because I've just gotten too used to it? I don't know what it might look like, but I just want to encourage you. Do that. You know, when I was uh, growing up, I can't tell you how many times this happened. First day of school, you know, they always kind of read the roll. And I, I don't know how people did this, but over and over growing up, how many times the first day of class the teacher would read Denise McNulty? It's like, where did she get an E on the end of that? But it would happen over and over. It was embarrassing, especially the younger you were. Of course, my classmates would have a ball with that. It still happens to me. I'd be sitting in a dentist's office or a doctor's waiting room or something, and the lady will march out there, Denise McNulty. Like, how does this happen? But, but that's nothing compared to the way they butcher my last name. McNutley, McNaughty, McNutley, McNaughty, McNutty, McNaughty. I mean, they just, just butcher it. And sometimes you just want to say, where did you learn your font? I mean, it's not like my last name is Prajowski or Brzezinski or Brzezinski or whatever that last name is. <laughs> but I'm sure some of you have gone through similar things and it kind of makes you mad. No one likes to have their name maligned. You don't even like it if you show up at a convention and they give you a name tag and, and, your, and your name is misspelled on that. Because it's something personal. Your name is who you are. No one wants to have their name tagged. soon you're not blushing and if you're not careful that vocabulary starts sneaking in to your vocabulary and pretty soon you're thinking oh my god and didn't even realize you said it. I'm asking you take some steps to grow in this area. 
by reminding the believer that someone lives inside of you. Verse 31 and 32. It says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. You know what bitterness is? Bitterness is a long-standing resentment or spirit
what he's done for them. What's she saying? At the age of five, she realized her dad used to act a certain way and say certain things, and now he's different. It's as if she's saying, if that's what God can do, then sign me up. What spiritual truth do you need God to speak into? A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation. Words can also be your damnation. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word a gift. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Maybe today you say, you know, I need to draw a line in the sand. And I realize that I need to work more on honoring God in my speech, and I need to work on building up others. I'm tired of the lies, and I'm tired of the put-downs, and scratching of God's name. I admit I have a cutting and critical willing to change if you and God need to have that talk today. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and it's, you're, you're kind of like that little girl and the Holy Spirit isn't in me today. And I need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and there's never been in that time in my life where I actually turned my life over to him. And maybe you're like that little girl and you say, I need to sign up for that today. If that's the case, I want to encourage you. Talk to the person that you came with Talk with me, make an appointment with me, but those, that's, that's an important, the most important decision that you'll ever make. Oh.